Cool. Well, today we're in Revelation chapter 22. If you want to open up your Bibles there, we're actually going to only cover verses 1 through 5. And when you look at Revelation 22, it's kind of interesting. The the verses 1 through 5 are going to be like the final description in the Bible as far as what will be there in heaven. And so remember in chapter 21, you might remember, we saw the new Jerusalem coming down, a new heaven, a new earth. We saw the foundations, the walls, the gates, the city, and it was kind of cool. But here we're going to see more of a natural supernatural. We're going to see a tree and a river and stuff like that, leaves. And so um, when it comes to heaven, um, I think that part of the reason that God has us cover things like this is because he wants us to go there and he wants us to know what it's like to be able to look forward to it as we go through hard times here on earth. And then he wants us to take as many people with us as we can. So let me ask you guys a question. Do you think you're going to heaven? How many of you believe that you're, you're going to heaven? Okay. Some of you didn't raise your hand. Um, no, I'm just joking. I think all of you did. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. I'll go. But we'll talk more about that. And let me ask you another question. Do you have like a passion? Do you have like this passion to take as many people with you as you can? Do you have that? Has that consumed your, your life? Has that caught you yet? I mean, not everybody can necessarily do the same thing. We're all part of a team. But I was kind of visualizing this giant spaceship. And I know it sounds crazy, but you know, every once in a while you see these movies and you got this giant spaceship with a whole bunch of people on it and they're kind of going somewhere. That's kind of what we are. We're in the ark. We're avoiding the judgment. But for us, we're on our way to heaven. And so it's almost like that. You know, it's like a journey. You got to get past the wilderness to get to the promised land. It's like a shepherd, you know, and Jesus is our shepherd and he's got this sheep that he's trying to lead them to this place. And along the way, there's green pastures, but man, he's trying to protect you from the wolves, stuff like that. This is what is really going on. We're on our way to heaven. Like I told you guys last time, make a right turn and then go straight. But you got to have this in your heart. Heaven, I want to go there and I want to take as many people as I can. Well, how can I do that? How can I take people with me to heaven? The way you can do that is you discover your gift, whatever it is, whatever your place is in the body of Christ, you develop it and then you deploy it. You need to scatter the seeds. You know, you talk to people about Jesus. It's as simple as that. Don't be afraid to mention the name of Jesus because Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says that's the name that brings salvation. And so, you guys, I pray we would have this in our heart. I know when John is writing the book of Revelation, he's writing in a context where there's a lot of suffering, a lot of craziness going on, and he wants to encourage them with this understanding of what heaven is like. You know, um, I was thinking about how a lot of times we go out on vacation and we do different things, and even we go to church, we go to, go to the store, I don't know, you go eat out and stuff like that, but then eventually you come home, and there's this something about home home. There's nowhere like home. This is what heaven is for us. It's our home. 
You know, I remember one time someone asked Pastor Rawl, you know, why is it I'm a Christian? Why do I still feel like this? Why do I still suffer like this? Why do we still go through things? Why is that happening and this and it's just so bad and all the tragedies? And, and Pastor Rawl, you know, gave a simple answer. He says, because we're not home yet. One day we'll be home. There'll be no more sickness or suffering or sin or disease or death or all that kind of stuff. And we got to know this. So it becomes not just a a destination, but a motivation. And when we go to heaven, it's interesting. One person asked a pastor, will we know everyone? Will we know each other when we get to heaven? To which the pastor responded, we won't really know each other until we get to heaven. You know, because now we're kind of artificial, you know, certain boundaries and we struggle in so many ways. But imagine how it's going to be when we're there, how we'll know, how we'll love, how we'll be. And so, uh, you guys, look what it says in in verse 1. And I want to read through it first and give you, uh, as we go through, I'm just going to maybe highlight certain things. Now, there's different ways you can look at this, so don't think that this is like the answer, dogmatic and everything, because one of the things you'll see is we're just going to be able to scratch the surface. But I want you to see some of the things that are, are there, in our text, and some of the things that are not there in heaven. So look at verse 1, Revelation 22. It says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. And so if you're comfortable with it, or if you're making, making notes, or maybe just make a mental notation, first thing we see here is a river. And so in heaven, there's this river of water. And then the second thing we see, it says proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, of course, we know God's there, we're there, and so that's kind of a given. But what's there in our text? We'll touch on the fact that there's a river. We'll take out number two. There's a throne. In verse two, it says in the middle of its street. So thirdly, there's, there's a street. And on either side of the river was the tree. There's a tree of life. That's the fourth thing. Which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. So those are things that are there. Then in verse 3, it talks about something that's not there. It says in verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. And the, the last thing I want to mention as far as what's there, and I know this is us, but if I could just highlight the word servants. You know, there is this river. There is this throne. There are these streets. There is this tree. And there are these servants that are there, and they shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no night. So again, just kind of mentioning things that are there, things that aren't there. There's no more curse, and there's no more night. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, these words are faithful and true, and we'll stop there. So, so what's there in, in heaven you know, I pray that you would know the reality of it. 
I will say this, that as you guys are listening to different studies on Revelation 22, and as you're reading books on this, perhaps you're going to go and you're going to venture out, you're going to see some teachers will tell you it's just all symbolic, and mm, who knows, maybe they're right. These are respected teachers, you know. But when I read it, I always go back to the rule of interpretation that if it makes sense, seek no other sense. And what I see with God is that it's real, it's, it's, it's true, but it is also symbolic. You know, when we go to heaven, it says there's going to be this river of water of life. It's going to be clear as crystal, and it proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so let me ask you a question. As you're there, you're in heaven, you see the river flowing. What do you think the river is for? Like, just out of curiosity, is it just to to see its beauty and perhaps, I, I don't know about you, but when I see a river flowing, it is, it is beautiful, it is gorgeous to see. Um, maybe it'll be for water skiing. How many of you think that? <laughs> maybe. You know, I love to do stuff like that, get out on a boat or something. But don't you think, more than likely, if you guys kind of like, just kind of like gather a little information, don't you think that you're probably going to be able to drink from this river of water of life? How many of you think that, just out of curiosity? I have a feeling that we will drink this water. And it's going to be so amazing. You know, I was talking to a brother the other day, and he was talking about some of the natural things in this world, and I don't know, vitamins and stuff like that. You can drink, and it helps you. You know, I remember one time I had one of those rock star energy drinks, and it kept me up all night, so I'll never do that again. But, you know, um, you drink things, and it, and it just it influences you. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, in which is a wasted life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, John 7, 37 through 38, it says that the rivers that flow, these torrents of living water, are symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So I remember when I was in the world, I used to drink, and it changed me, it influenced me, it became a part of me. In one sense, you are what you eat and drink, right? And so here we are, we're drinking, think about this, we're drinking of the river of heaven, and this river of life. And, I, and, I, and again, we're going to see later, there's these leaves for the healing of the nations, and you're like, what are you talking about, Manny? You know, there's no sickness in heaven, then why do they need that? And we're going to see, when we put it all together, the river and the fruit and the leaves, it's not necessarily that it heals us from infirmities, but it kind of keeps us. It kind of empowers us. It kind of like a vitamin. You know, you take vitamins not to um, necessarily get better, but it, it's, it helps you. It, it makes you healthy. And, and we are going to be drinking from this river that is pure, that is like crystal, that flows from the throne of God. Don't, don't you know how that will impact us? And, and we have this river that the Bible talks about, and it's more than just physical strength. It's so much deeper than that. As a matter of fact, when you get a chance, I want to encourage you to read Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is all about the new Jerusalem. Now, you guys remember when we studied Revelation chapter 21 that that's where we're going to live. We will live in Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. But in Jerusalem, it says in Psalm 46 and verse 4, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. 
I mean, that's the New Jerusalem. This is the river that we're talking about. This, this river that we're going to drink from, it, it's going to make us glad. It's going to be a joy that's literally out of this world. You know, when you read something similar in Psalm 36, 8 and 9, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures, for with you is the fountain of life. You know, one of the things that we see as we're looking at heaven and we're wondering what's it going to be like, I remember when my family and I were, uh, we were blessed to be able to go to Hawaii and, you know, before we went, we we're like, okay, which island to go on? And then you look into it, you look ahead, you kind of look forward to it. Well, what's it like? What's the weather like? What's, I mean, you name it, the accommodations. This is what God is doing with us when it comes to heaven. He's saying, when it comes to heaven, one of the things you're going to see that will be there is the, the rivers. But I want you to know that the rivers are not going to be flowing from the Santa Fe down. The rivers that you're drinking from will be flowing from the throne of God. And, and that's one of the things you'll just see over and over again in the book of Revelation. 35 times God mentions his throne. And he sits there and he rules. And we're going to see later, it's interesting, we read it right here, how the throne, uh, knowing that God's on the throne, it, it, it kind of makes things right. Look again at verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. No more curse, since God rules on the throne in complete control of everything. There's nothing but blessing. How he sits in sovereignty and rules in royalty. And we see it over and over again. As a matter of fact, a lot of people believe that the first thing you see when you take your last breath here and your first breath in heaven, the first thing you'll see is his throne. Revelation chapter 4, it talks about that. You know, we see in one sense how God is sovereign here on earth, but, you know, what we find is that God doesn't author everything that goes on. He allows the difficulties of life because he has purposes even in the pain and it gets so difficult at times. But there'll be none of that in heaven. No more pain, no more sorrow, only joy. You know, Proverbs 29, 2, it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And that's what will happen one day when we're there in heaven. There will be nothing but joy. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said that heaven is an e eternal bliss forever. And so in heaven, you're wondering, well, what's going to be there? I know there's a lot more to it than this. As a matter of fact, I was reading a story uh, about a little boy, and the man was saying, well, why, what, we're talking to the little boy, the little boy's asking the man, well, why don't we know more about heaven? Why, why is it so limited in what we know? And the man said it would be like a little boy at a table having lunch, eating spinach, and on the other side of the table is a big old fat chocolate cake. And so, you know, we know a little bit about what's going on here. But if we knew everything about heaven, oh, we would have a hard time making it through here. We know enough to know that it's God and it's joy. And we know that God is good, even in this fallen world. But the little things that we do know are enough to let us have that heart of, Lord, I, I, a lot of people want to go to heaven. No one wants to die. I'm okay. 
You know, if God calls me home and one day I get the, whatever, the, the news from the doctor, Manny, you got this, that, the other. I mean, this is rooted inside of me enough. It's here enough for me to have joy. For me to have joy and be like, wow, Lord Paul the Apostle, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the race, I've kept the faith. Now there's this crown that God has for us. You know, when, this morning when I was spending time with the Lord, I was uh, just kind of reflecting on my life and when I got saved. And you guys, when I got saved, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys experienced this, um, but I just got like totally, completely struck by lightning. I'll never forget the day that I got saved. And, you know, I went forward and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. I mean, I felt like the, the power of God descend into my life. And from that day forward, I mean, we're talking no more drugs, no more alcohol. A lot of these addictions and sins and stuff that I was engaged in, it was just stripped away by the power of God. I didn't even cuss anymore. Suddenly I have this insatiable desire to serve God and to read the Bible and just to seek Him. And I'm telling you, when I got saved, I, I felt like the perpetual presence of God surround me for weeks, for weeks. And when I would bow my head, I mean, I'm serious. I'm not, when I would just bow my head, I just felt like, like this rush. It would flow through my body. And when I was talking to the Lord about that today, I said, Lord, you know, why doesn't everybody experience that? Because I know not everybody does. Some people do. Uh, and, and, and the Lord was saying, well, you know, you tell them your story. You tell them your story. You tell them what, what I did for you. Others will experience similar things. Others will experience miracles along the way. But I did that for you. And here I am today, 30 years later, and when we're talking about heaven, there is not a shadow of a doubt that God is real, that heaven is real. I mean, I know that because I have experienced this, and I'm sharing it with you. Now, not everybody goes through those things, but you got to know this is real. You know, life in one sense, is less real than in heaven. David talks about it in Psalm 17. And one day I'm going to wake up. I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to wake up to the likeness of God and the presence of God, and there'll be satisfaction finally. You know, not everybody got to experience what the Jews did in Egypt when God stretched forth his hand, and he gave ten plagues, and they were set free, and the most powerful nation in the world was defeated by these slaves, and then the Red Sea opened, and they went through, and then they were fed with manna. Not everyone got to experience that. But there was a generation that did, and they told their kids, and they tell their kids, and they tell the story. You see, that's how it works. Not everybody experiences the same thing. But you have the choice whether to believe this is true or not. And what happens is when you, when, you, when you experience these things and then when you get into the word and then God just begins to feed your faith, you realize, man, this, this life is good. It's a blessing, man, but it's only a, a pit stop. It's only an Airbnb. It's only like, you know, a temporary thing. 
And, and when we start looking at heaven, we're like, okay, there's, a, there's this river of water of life, I believe symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, again, in verse 1, it says, And he showed me a river, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all there. And in the middle of its street, and that's the third thing we see, is the street there in heaven. And so I don't know, when you read 21, Revelation 21, 22, it only mentions one street. I'm kind of glad about that because otherwise it might get lost. I am not good at that. But you guys know how it is, huh? You got downtown Monrovia and whatever that street is or, you know, some of these streets, El Monte has Valley Boulevard. You know, we've got different places, right? There's going to be this main street in heaven. Revelation 21 says it's made of gold, pure gold. Redeemer's Road, maybe Highway of Heaven. I don't know what it's going to be called. But then there's this tree of life. Look again in verse 2. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Interesting, you guys. Just We're not sure. We don't know everything about it. But there is going to be this tree of life. And it it bears, it says right there, uh, 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And so we're wondering, well, what's heaven going to be like? It might be a a 12-month thing there in heaven as well. Because sometimes people think, well, there's no more of that kind of stuff. Um, more than likely, there'll be something similar to what we're experiencing now. You know, you have the earth and it revolves around, you know, the sun and that kind of stuff. I don't know. The sun is going to be different, obviously. And so all I know is that there's these 12 months, these 12 fruits. And, and as you're looking at that, it's interesting to see what the tree of life symbolizes. Because you guys know, huh, back in Genesis, I think in one sense, when you look at the Bible, it's really the story of three trees, in Genesis, there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You guys remember that in Genesis chapter 2? And God said, okay, Adam and Eve, you guys can eat of any tree you want, but the one tree that you can't eat of is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what did they do? They're kind of like us. They went and they ate of something that was forbidden, and sin entered the world. Next thing you know, they hid from God. And so tree number one, it causes the fall. And so you might remember there in the garden that the Lord spoke to the angels and he says, hey, there's another tree called the tree of life. What I need you guys to do is I need you to shelter it, make sure you take it out, don't let them touch it. Because if you eat of the tree of life, then you will live forever. And so God said, I don't want them to live forever in the fallen condition that they had discovered. And so God then took it away. We're going to see, some say it's a different tree, some say it's it's the same tree, but first tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil that created the fall. The second tree is the cross of Calvary, where the Bible says that Jesus died. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe it's verse 24, it talks about how on that tree, Jesus died to give us that forgiveness of sins. Really, it's just three trees. It's not complicated. It's not. The first tree is where we chose to sin. 
We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Adam was representative of us. We all would have done the same thing. But then the second tree is the cross of Calvary where Jesus died. You know, and to me, I don't know if you guys ever, you know, I don't know if you focus on the cross. I don't know if you're cross-eyed. I don't know if you have a crosswalk. You know, when I was Catholic, they had Jesus there and on the crucifix and you know, as I became a Protestant, they're like, well, you're not supposed to have him there. And I understand that he's no longer on the cross. But sometimes I think we forget that our God was nailed to a cross. He was slaughtered. He looked like a piece of meat. We forget how much he loves us. Romans 5, 8 says that's how he demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, you know, it's interesting how in the book of Revelation, over and over and over and over again, Jesus is described as a lamb, a lamb. Even here, the lamb. So really, it's just three trees. The first tree that caused the fall, the second tree that provided forgiveness, and then the third tree, which one day when we eat of it, and I can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like, when we take that tree and we eat the fruit, it's the one that, that gives us, in one sense, life forever. So you have the, the fall, you have forgiveness, and you have this tree of life, which is forever. And that's what's there in heaven. You know, we read this over and over again as we read through the scriptures. You know, it's interesting how it says in verse 2, that in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And then it says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I was, at first, I don't know why I had like a mental block. I was like, well, how did the leaves heal the nations? And what is that really all about anyways? And, you know, um, number one, why do the nations need to be healed? But we talked about the fact that in Revelation 21, it mentions the nations and how we're not going to be cloned. We're not all going to have the same skin color, same hair color, same eye color, whatever, all the same height. There is this racial uh, diversity there in heaven. But one of the things about races that you find is that a lot of times we see it on earth, it creates racism. Diversity sometimes creates division. And so some people say, as far as the healing of the nations, that it has to do with, with that. Again, just not attaining unity, but maintaining unity. The same thing with the water, the fruits. Again, not necessarily making us better, but keeping us where we need to be. You know, but it's interesting, too, that the Greek word translated healing is actually where we get our word therapy from. And so God here is is sharing some things with us that I think are so deep. You know, as we go through difficulties here on earth, God wants us to know that this is what we have to look forward to. If you skip down to verse 3, it says that there will be servants and we will serve him. And this is an interesting thing because when you think of our relationship with God in heaven... You know, it's important for us to know that we will be the bride and loved by him. We will be the child. Those are things that we saw in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2 and verse 7. How many of you guys here love your bride? I'm just curious. You you got it, right? 
Absolutely. You love your children? Okay, so make no mistake about it that in heaven there will be that aspect of the love relationship. But there will also be the aspect of serving in heaven. Serving. And so I don't know if we're necessarily going to be digging holes, but I do know this, you guys, that we have um, the privilege of serving God. You know, they say that our responsibility there in heaven will be based even on our faithfulness here on earth. And so we'll see how all that works out. But I do know that as we're serving God, it is a privilege. It is an honor. Uh, I wonder, uh, the, the last thing we're going to see as we're serving God, notice it says right here that we'll, we'll see his face in verse 4. We're going to have his name on our foreheads. And uh, it even says, notice at the end of verse 5, and they shall reign forever and ever. So what's that talking about? That's talking about the fact that that we're kings. We're going to be reigning with God forever and ever. So here's something just to throw out to you guys. What will we be reigning over? You know, question, has kings in heaven, how does that work? You know, when I, when I was reading that, I went to the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, the brilliant author. He wrote this story. And you guys remember the Chronicles of Narnia? Edmund and, and Lucy and, and, and Susan and them, Peter. And, 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 and in that kingdom, in one sense, it kind of goes back to the book of Genesis because when God created Adam and Eve, when God created man, he told them to have dominion over what? The animals. Now, I don't know if that's the way it works. There might be more to it, but that's interesting to me. How many of you here love animals? Would, would you like animals to be in heaven? I'll tell you this, because some people are like, well, there's no animals in heaven. Now, I'm telling you this, okay? There is no way that heaven will be worse than earth. I mean, I'm 99% sure... Not 100%, but I'm 99% sure because we see horses and we have different things that there are going to be these animals in heaven. And just like going back to Genesis chapter 1, having that dominion, having that aspect of ruling and serving and reigning is going to be amazing, you guys. Now, I don't know if they'll be able to talk. That's a completely different story. (laughs) But I, I do know that, that serving him and seeing him is going to be so amazing. I read a story, and it's actually a true story, about a man who was blind. And, uh, and while he was blind, he was in the process of trying to get uh, his eyes, uh, the vision restored, and there was a medical process that he could go through. But while he was going through all this, he met someone and fell in love. And so here's a blind man. Think about it. He can't see. He falls in love. And uh, during the process, he ends up getting married. And so when he was about to have his uh, surgery, I guess there was some way they were able to restore his vision. They had wrapped up his bandages and they asked uh, him you know, to take care of himself. I think it was a matter of months before he could take them off. And then they say that the man said, make sure, make sure that when these bandages are off, that my wife is there. 
And so, you know, sure enough, I guess apparently the surgery went well. They took off the bandages, and the first thing he saw was his wife. And they said that he told her, you are more beautiful than I would have ever imagined. And you guys, you know what? That's what we're going to say about Jesus. When we see him for the first time, imagine how beautiful. You know, I was thinking about that psalm, Psalm 17. And David wrote this. It says in verse 15, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. And so we see many times in the Bible, Job said the same thing, when this flesh is destroyed, I shall see God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. One day we will see God. Imagine that. David wrote about it right here, and it's kind of cool what he said. He said, I will see your face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. You know, David, if you think about it, he had a pretty good life. How many of you guys would like to be a victorious soldier for your country? How many of you guys would have liked to slay Goliath? I'm just curious. Come on, guys. You know, I mean, this guy, he had it all. He was good looking. Um, he was a great fighter, a great soldier. He could play the guitar. I mean, like amazing. You know, the psalm, the harp. He was anointed worship leader. I mean, so many things about this guy, you know, he had, he had love, um, a lot of things, you know. But one of the things you'll also see about David, even though he had so much, is that he also had valleys. I mean, he had difficulties in life. He had opposition like crazy. He had, I mean, I don't even, I can't even begin to imagine the spiritual warfare that he went through. He was so depressed at times. And so here's this guy that has so much, and, and yet he went through the, the valleys. And that's life, especially when you're passionate, especially when there's something special about you and the devil knows it, man. You're going to have your peaks, and you're going to have your valleys, and you're going to have your darkness, and it's going to be crazy, you know? And David, he knew that, and, and he wrote, he says, one day, all this is going to be done. One day, I'm going to wake up from this nightmare. And I'm going to see God's face. And he knew it. And he says right there, and I'll be satisfied then. Until then, it's good. Life is pretty cool. But man, we're fish out of water. We're not home yet. We won't be satisfied yet. You know, this is why uh, death for the Christian is not bad. It's not. We, we are so entrenched with, I don't want to die. I don't want them to die. Listen, when I get, I don't know if the Lord tarries and you guys, whatever, I get the news and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I understand to a certain extent, but I want to lessen that, lessen that bad, negative sadness. No, it's, it's like, okay, you know, I was talking to a brother uh, just yesterday, and he was talking to me about how, you know, he was in county jail, and, uh, you know, he wanted so bad to, to get out so he could see his daughter graduate, you know, and he didn't think he was going to make it, but he was praying and praying and praying, and then, boom, it was so cool, God opened the doors, and so he gets a, a, a little knock on the, on the door, and the, 
I don't know, the, the, the guy there at the jail, he tells him, hey, get your stuff. You're out of here. And in one sense, and I know you guys might think I'm morbid or it sounds bad, but listen, man, if I get that, that, that news one day, whatever, that this is, you know, stage four of this, that, or whatever, you know, it's not going to work out for you. I mean, it's, it's really, it's this, that I get to drink from this river, that I get to partake of these fruits that I get to see the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit on the throne. You know, those leaves. I was wondering, Lord, how does it work, leaves? How does it heal? What do they do? Take the leaves down and boil them in water and drink it? Or is it, do they eat it like lettuce? And, and then I was, remember, I was remembering, you guys know, remember when you took science class, that that's where we get our oxygen from. We're going to be breathing in these things that are good for us. We're going to be breathing in God. We're going to be drinking in God. How can that be bad? That's why I want to go there. I love you guys. I love my family. But God's going to take care of them. God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of my kids because God loves them more than I do. And he knows when's the best time. Sometimes my wife and I will have a little discussion and I'll tell her, no, I'm going first because he loves me more. (laughs) (laughs) I remember uh, one time we were doing a funeral service and there was this people from a different denomination. They were watching our funeral service and they're like, why are you guys so sad? This, This people, this denomination, when they have funeral, they're just like celebrating. And I know it's difficult. I understand that. But in Christ... Can you see what we look forward to? No more curse. No more curse. No more pain. No more night. That's what it says right there. No more night. Now again, we're looking at these things and I do believe that they're literal. I really do. But I also believe they're symbolic. You know, the Old Testament, Malachi, remember? It ended with a curse. It literally ends. God says, as I come and strike the earth with a curse. I mean, it ended with a curse. The New Testament, it ends with grace. It ends with the end of the curse. No more night. No more night. No more darkness. You guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, I, I relate to David in so many ways, to be honest with you, because I find myself very blessed. I have, like, everything than any man could ever want. I feel that way. I feel that way in so many ways with my family, with my church family. I feel that way, you know, I mean, my job or whatever you might want to call it as a pastor, a minister. Think about it. I get to wake up and go to church and pray with people. I get to go and read my Bible and study my Bible. I get to tell people about Jesus. That's my life. I get to go and Yesterday, we started the day off celebrating with a brother who's going to get married and have breakfast. I get to go to work and do things like that. I find myself so blessed. Then why is sometimes I don't feel comfortable in my own skin? Why is, is there the ups and the downs and the struggles? Why? Because I'm not home yet. And so there'll be no more curse and there'll be no more night. And you guys know this, huh? 
You guys know this, but I pray you would believe it. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so I want to go to heaven. I, I really do. I, I can't wait. I feel like Paul the Apostle. He said, to stay here or to go there, I'm kind of torn. To be honest, I'd rather just go there. But there's more work for us to do. And so, you guys, heaven, just know this is what it's all about. I, I pray that you would make sure that you're on the road to heaven. And like I said, you make a right turn and then you keep going straight. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get distracted. You abide in Jesus Christ, the Bible says. You know, we have to overcome. Revelation chapter 2, I believe it's verse 27. He promised the church. He said, if you overcome, then you're going to eat of the tree of life. If you overcome, the Bible says over and over again, then, you know, this is the promise that you're going to rule and reign with me. And we can overcome. Why? Because Jesus has. John 16, 33. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. And so, Acts 14, 22, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So, this side of this, you know, paradise is going to be wilderness and trials. But on that side, it's going to be so cool. What God does... We will be blessed forever and ever.